Life is going to be hard. This isn't about to be easy, but I got you. And you just have to keep showing up. Welcome to another episode of Within Us. My name is Azriella Jankovic, and I am your host. I'm a podcast host. I write. I do one-on-one coaching and mentoring, facilitate masterminds, and all sorts of other things. At the root of it all, I'm an educator. I'm inspired to teach and share all that I learn in this wild and wonderful life about how to live happier with more wellness, wisdom, and wonder. That's what the show is all about. It's all about enhancing your life. And my guest today, Kaylee Zaytuni, is here to do exactly that. So for the first time on this podcast, I want to make a dedication and I want to dedicate this episode to a very, very dear friend of mine. And I'm not going to mention her name because I think she'd like to keep it that way, but she knows who she is. And this very special friend of mine has been suffering from multiple sclerosis for several years now. I've known her since I was a teenager and I've watched what she's been through and she has faced it with so much strength and so much fortitude. And recently I learned over the course of the last year that she was working with a professional who is helping her through her process. And thank God, and thanks to this person who's been helping her, she has really made tremendous progress. She's now walking for the first time without a cane in several years. And she's living her dream of chasing her four-year-old daughter down the hallway of her home. That's the dream, my friends. That is the dream. And it reminds me every day how important it is to be grateful for the little things. You know, the more we're learning about happiness, the more that we're understanding that it's these micro moments of connection, these three-second moments of playing with our kids, having a conversation at the grocery store with the clerk or the person behind us in line, putting on a pair of fuzzy slippers, doing an act of kindness, receiving a compliment. All of these small acts are what bring joy to the world, bring joy to our lives and bring happiness. So my friend who will remain nameless, you are an inspiration. And I want to thank you for being who you are and inspiring me every day to live happier and live with more gratitude and for loving me. So this friend of mine is, as I said, the one who introduced me to my podcast guest for today. And my guest today is absolutely incredible. She herself has had a journey, really a saga with wellness and with struggle. And she has faced it with an unrelenting sense of optimism and hope. Really, there are several parts to her journey. And I'm not going to get too into the details here in the introduction because I really want you to hear it from her. My guest today is Kaylee Zaytuni. Kaylee is a coach, a speaker, and an author, and she's also a trained therapist. Her focus is on helping her clients both through grief and through illness recovery. And both of these topics are topics with which she is very personally familiar. You're going to hear about her story with recovering from illness today. And no matter what it is that you may be dealing with in terms of health or wellness, or perhaps 
in the lives of other people that you know who are dealing with challenges having to do with health and wellness, there is something in this episode for everyone. And I know even on a regular basis in our lives, there are so many different health challenges that we can face and truly our health is our wealth. And I'm so excited to share Kaylee's story with you, her insights and her expert advice. I know that it inspired me and I'm gonna take these lessons with me as I go. And um, with nothing further, here's Kaylee. When I was 12, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, MS. And the reason I start there um, is because on the surface, that sounds like a terrible thing, right? A child's diagnosed with a debilitating disease. And somehow at that age, we feel invincible. It's also too hard at that age to fully grasp what the implications of, of that kind of diagnosis are. And so I think that very much prepared me for the rest of my life, prepared me for the challenges since, which have been in the last few years, um, and really gave me the foundation that life is not supposed to be some smooth sailing experience. We're not here for something easy. Um, and, And because that was always my perspective, that's really all I've known, not in any negative way. It was in a very optimistic way. You know, life is hard. There are going to be challenges and I'm going to be able to meet them was sort of always my perspective. And so as a result, I just was constantly building this resilience muscle constantly. And, and since I've really come to believe that everyone can do that. And that's been really an amazing experience for me to get to see what, what are the things that move the needle? What allows you to cope? What allows you to overcome um, and to be able to face challenge? And the baseline of that, and I think it's really, really, it, this is something so important for me to share. The baseline of that is first and foremost, the recognition that life is challenging inherently. And I find that a lot of times what makes people break is where they were expecting it to continue to be smooth, where they were expecting it to be easy, that's when we break. And when we know that this is just inherently part of life, then, then things actually get easier. <laughs> they get much e- easier because it doesn't come as much as, come, uh, uh, as a shock. So that's, that was my upbringing. That was my childhood. Um, and all I really knew was illness. And of course, there was an adaptation that I had to go through. You know, there's a learning curve with illness. It was much easier than I think the average person facing a diagnosis, certainly the average adult. Because just take, you know, an adult, for example, is adapting to shifting careers and, and parenting differently and a different relationship. And I grew up with this. And so illness just naturally kind of integrated into my life. And I was naturally able to adapt. And so in an interesting way, <laughs> um, after 18 years of living with MS, um, I, I set out to, to change that. I was sick and tired of being sick. Um, I hated that experience of not knowing what tomorrow was going to hold, not being able to plan, feeling like, well, I would love to go on that vacation in two weeks. I don't know if I'll be able to see. I would love to take this job. What if it's going to be too many hours for me? Questions that so many people with illness face every day. Um, and then having everything revolve around that. You cannot 
plan without, oh, then this is going to be my treatment day. And then I'm going to need another day to rest. And just everything is around that. And I just said, enough is enough. I cannot live this way. And so I set out to figure out what this, what this amazing body that we have was going to provide me with. I knew that, that, that we, we are walking miracles. We are walking, you know, we are the most advanced machine on the planet and still doctors and scientists haven't quite figured it out. And so, and I just knew inherently there's got to be a way that, that this organism that creates human life could give me more for my own healing than I was giving it credit for. Um, and so I set out on this journey, which we can talk more about later, but um, I set out on this journey. And after 18 years, um, I did it. I, I became illness-free, disease-free. And what I was going to say is that what's so interesting is that I spent my childhood adapting to illness. And now to this day, even though it's been a few years, I'm still adapting to health. I'm still adjusting to what it means to be healthy. And it's in the smallest ways and in the biggest ways. It's in waking up and, and just, oh, I have energy and I can actually plan my day and expect that that's going to happen. And then there's also no disappointment afterwards because I lived most of my life being fully aware that we are not in charge, that God is in charge and that I can plan all I want and he's going to let it go however he wants because my body always stopped me. Now my body's not stopping me. So I get to plan, which is an amazing, exciting thing that I guess other people have grown up with. To me, it's new. Um, and then be able to roll with it. So it's kind of interesting. I feel like I've gotten the best of both worlds because um, I have these, you know, this ability to be flexible um, and this incredible gratitude for just every second. Just looking at you, just seeing like there's, there's no question that today I was going to wake up and see the screen and not have any problem with my vision. And that's not something I take for granted at all. It's, it's so profound how little moments, these, we're walking through a miracle. We are living miracles. Uh, we can walk down a, a path and notice a leaf, the beauty and the intricacy of one leaf that nobody's ever looked at. And here we are, as you said, the most complex organism on the planet. And, and we're still, science is still catching up. We're still learning. We're still trying to figure it out. So you are clearly an optimist. And I love your positivity. And we're going to keep this as optimistic and positive as can be. But I want to go back a little bit. And I know that you faced some real challenges with the illness. And it wasn't as though you just fell into illness and, and, and you were kind of sick. I mean, this was a major life-altering diagnosis. And I'm curious if you could share with our listeners just a little bit about what was life like for you after you got diagnosed and over the course of your, the time when you were experiencing symptoms? Um, the best way I can describe that is life was uncertain always. Um, in even the process of my diagnosis was an immense challenge. It took three months to get my diagnosis. And I, even though I had classic symptoms, um, I had something called nystagmus where your eyes rapidly move right to left. So my, my world, my world was constantly turning. I was incredibly nauseous. I mean, it was so bad that if I opened my eyes, I vomited. There was no question about it. I was like that for 60 days. So, or sorry, 30 days. So Kaylee, you lived life with your eyes closed for 30 days. 
For 30 days. I live, well, I lived live with my eyes closed for 60 days, but I'll tell you why in a second. So I just, I literally did not open my eyes. It didn't mean I couldn't see if I did, I could, but it just wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth that feeling. And so everyone did everything for me from feeding me to showering me, everything. And I just laid in a bed, basically. I went to and from the doctors. Um, and then all of a sudden one day I woke up and the world wasn't spinning. And I remember this moment because my mom and I would get into this routine. She'd get my brother off to school and, um, and then she'd come sit by the bed and we would basically do a body scan. How are the toes? Oh, still tingling. How are the legs? Still crawling with ants. Like we would just go through my body. And then the last thing we would do is open my eyes. Um, and I remember the morning that I opened my eyes and I was like, you're not spinning. And it was such an exciting moment. And then I went, but there are two of you. So then I saw double for the, the next 30 days. And it was sort of an interesting experience because I was surrounded by the most incredible people. I was in seventh grade. And as you can imagine, the average adult doesn't know how to interact with, with illness. Um, and I was really, really blessed that, that these seventh graders, my class, we, we went to, to this small uh, private day school in LA called Kadima. These were just, inc just incredible human beings. And they would help like lighten the mood. So I would go to school just because I wanted to be with kids and like, I was just bored at home, but I wasn't actually going to class. And they would just tease me like, oh, so do you see two of me? What do I look like? And they would play with their fingers and they would edit. So I just became like the focus of everyone's attention, but they tried to make it fun and really lighten, lighten the mood. Um, so I was really lucky in those ways, but um, it was really, really challenging. So yeah, that was the first 60 days of my experience with MS. And it kind of just got worse from there, honestly. Every day was just different. And so I had moments throughout I always had a good baseline. I'm really, really grateful for that. The type of MS I have is called, I had is called relapsia. I'm still getting used to that. Um, <laughs> it's called relapsing remitting. You have a relapse, get a lot of symptoms at once, and then I can go into what's called remission. It does not in any way mean being symptom free. Um, not that anybody explains that to you when you're first diagnosed. It means that your symptoms somewhat calm down and you have kind of a baseline in between. So Throughout middle school and high school, I had experienced paralysis. Um, when I was in college, I uh, was blind in one eye for a couple weeks. That was it, the most terrifying experience because you just don't know what's it going to take to get your eyesight back. Um, all, I've had times when my, all my internal organs had just shut down. And it also affected my cognition. It affected things that you wouldn't imagine because it's the immune system attacking the brain. And because it's your central nervous system, anything can happen. So speech can be slurred or you can be missing vocabulary words. And there were times when I thought I was speaking perfectly clearly and my family would just look at me just blank and just say like, what are you talking? What were you trying to say? And in, in my mind, I had said something very clear. So anything, you name it, memory, concentration, I faced it all. Um, Times when I remember I had this very strange cough. It was bizarre. I was feeling fine and it was going on for months. And eventually when doctors said, well, yeah, of course you have MS. And I thought, what are you talking about? <laughs> How is this even connected? I've had MS for years. What do you mean? And they're like, oh, your lungs are having spasms and that's causing a cough. My lungs, like 
just the most any yeah you name it it happened so there you were at age 12 diagnosed with an illness that caused literally anything and everything to go wrong at the drop of a hat and you suffered i mean anyone looking in from the outside would see suffering and yet here you are this many years later and i first became aware of you because of the work you're doing helping other people get well. And then I discovered your work and I discovered your pictures with the doctors who are baffled by you, who can't <laughs> figure out what happened here. And yet here you are and you're smiling into the camera and you're seeing one of me <laughs> and thank God. It's thank so great. God you're, you're planning your day and you're, you're out there smiling and, and, and optimistically making things happen and bringing wellness into the world from within as you describe it. So how did you go from the suffering to here? What was that? What inspired the, the transformation? Um, I think more than anything was this constant inner knowing that this wasn't going to be my life. I didn't really know as a child how I was going to do that and what that would entail, but it just, there was always that fire in me. And I held on to it and I knew it was the only thing I, I could hold on to. I knew I had to hang on tight to that somewhere. It was like stored away on the back burner, but I always knew it was there. Um, and it really started the day I saw my first MRI, my first brain scan. I honestly remember it like it was yesterday. And I think about this moment all the time. Um, my first neurologist was not such a warm, friendly guy, kind of a grump. Um, <laughs> or a Grinch. I think that's more appropriate. Um, and we're looking at my, my brain and you can see the scar tissue, um, on, on my brain scan. And I looked at him as a 12 year old. This was even before I had the official diagnosis. And I remember just the, I remember the feeling of like how I turned my head to him and said, is this, is that ever going to get better? Can my brain repair? And he said, no. And I remember the exact feeling of, I almost felt like I could feel the sound waves like bounce off <laughs> where I was just like, he said words and I, that's just not going to penetrate. And we're just going to let that bounce right off. And it was in that moment that I just had this visceral experience of that's impossible. That's impossible. I don't know where it came from. I, I don't know how I had any awareness of that. I had never heard of all the things that I, I learn about now and, and all the research that I, that I base everything I do on now. I didn't know about any of that, but I just held on to that belief um, that there could be another way, that there could be a better way. So that was one massive part of it. And I think the other big part of it, sorry, go ahead. So you had this flash of lightning moment yeah. of just knowing you knew from yeah. somewhere, somehow that you would get through this. Absolutely. I just knew. He said to me, he said, you will be in a wheelchair by the end of high school. Don't plan on going to college. And I just, he lit a fire under me. I mean, what a jerk, right? But like, I think I needed to hear that where I was just like, that's not going to be me. And that started this, this fire. It was this, it was, it was this lightning moment. And I just knew somehow I was going to change this. Didn't know when or how, but I just knew. Amazing. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. I'm, I feel really, really blessed. And I, 
you know, a lot of times I've, I, I, I became a public speaker immediately. I started sharing my story because I saw how much it changed. The diagnosis changed my, my own approach to life and my family's. We were much more loving. Our relationships changed. We never left the house in the morning without making sure we all said, I love you to each other, you know? So that, that was profound. That was a gift. I was grateful for that. I, I was, I, there was definite suffering. It was not a walk in the park, but I was grateful for those moments. And my parents were really incredible in reinforcing that lesson and that message. You know, they would, <laughs> I'd get a call, I'd get called to the principal's office in the middle of the day, you know, in middle school. And all of a sudden my mom would be there and be like, come on, we're going to Disneyland. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, just, my parents really got on board. They were like, life is too short and we're going to make memories. And if Kaylee can walk today, we're going to take advantage of that. And that was an, a, kind of an amazing way to grow up, to be honest with you. Um, so I think that also helped me stay really optimistic um, and know that, okay, right now things are hard, but I also celebrate the wins and celebrate the good moments and the little things. And that kind of optimism got me to the point where, and actually gave me enough strength that when the healing process started, I could power through. Because I think actually getting healthy was in many ways harder than maintaining my illness, um, which was also a, a shocking experience. So, so it's interesting that you mentioned that, that getting healthy was harder than maintaining the illness. Yeah. Now, if we can go back a little bit to yeah. your journey, at what point did this shift take place from maintaining an illness to getting healthy? And what did that look like? Um, so really the moment that it really shifted for me was actually the week I moved to Israel. There was so much stress around the move and Kaylee, with MS. Yeah. Kaylee, let me ask you, when you say the week you moved to Israel, can you take us back and just tell us like when you moved to Israel and mm -hmm. how old you were and kind of how long? Oh my gosh. I don't know if I remember how old I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, 28, 29. Um, I, this was in two, July of 2015. And um, I... I moved from LA. It was also one of those things that was just a knowing um, where I, I've my whole life wanted to, to live in Israel and just always sort of said, okay, God's going to tell me when that time should be and when that time will come. Um, and I got a job offer the same day that I had told my current boss, I have to move. <laughs> so I just came to him one day and just said, if I don't do it now, it's not going to happen. I got to do it. And he was so supportive. I'm really, really blessed. Um, he said, I totally understand. I totally get it. And I wish you nothing but luck and success. Keep me posted on your timing. So I didn't have really a plan. And I got home that day and had an email asking me to take a job in Israel. So it was just like, I really find this by the way in life, when you make a decision, I, I find that the things we desire the most are things that God wants to give us. It doesn't come out of nowhere. This is what God wants to give us. He just needs us to be on the creation team with him. And so we have to decide, yes, that is what I want. And that is where I'm going. And he goes, cool. I'm so glad you're on the team with me and just provides it, which has been an amazing experience. So anyways, so I, I made so the decision. So 2015, you made a yeah. decision to quit your job and move to Israel. And the day that you did that, you got an email 
in your inbox that you had a job lined up. Now, where yeah. were you in your health journey at that point? Um, I was, I was doing okay. Um, so I, I did have a good baseline. I was strong enough to be exercising regularly. Um, I was feeling good overall. Um, I was working full time. That's a huge gift. Um, but it was still your always, it was still this mindset. We're kind of always waiting for the other foot to drop. Um, definitely I would say the worst symptom at the time was pain. Um, I would just suffer through pain for days on end. Um, and I just sort of learned to mask it, to suck it up and deal the best that I could. Um, and the other biggest challenge at the time was actually my treatment. Um, so I was on a great treatment at the time, Ty Savory, um, which had really shifted my, the course of my disease. I'm really, really grateful for that. And I think that was a big part of my healing journey where I always say, you know, you don't, if you're in the middle of a burning house, you don't sit down and meditate, you run. So a lot of times people think like, I'm really anti-medication and like, no, actually medication can be really great. And it quiets everything. If you can get things to quiet enough to where you can then get in touch with your own body, that's beautiful. That's a wonderful thing. And that's what this medication did for me, but I would get it. I would do an infusion once a week. So oh, once a month, so I was in the hospital for a full day every month. And then I was basically out of commission for the next 24 hours. Um, and that is really hard when you're working full time and just want to be a normal adult and have a weekend and run errands. Like none of that was really within reality. Um, so that, that was the other biggest challenge. And that was a huge challenge, by the way, with making Aliyah, with moving to Israel, um, was just getting my treatment lined up. Was, it took so, so much legwork in advance. I think that was harder than anything, than, than the packing, than all of it by far. Um, but it all worked out. Um, I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, and the doctor who actually changed my diagnosis to, to um, being disease-free um, is at Sheba Medical Center, which is the, the sixth best uh, MS center in the world. And um, they, were, they were actually incredible. They, they were dedicated no matter what it took to make sure that I would be able to land and have my treatment on time and take care of everything. But of course, them, like their entire team, along with my neurologist in LA and myself and my family were all terrified of what was gonna happen once I got here because it's an immensely stressful experience. I did it very quickly in about a month turnaround. And that stress is, it's expected that it's going to bring on a relapse. It's going to bring on an attack. Um, and that I was, it was just, it was just almost like a given. I was going to get sick when I got here. And so when I did, when I did get in for about the first week, I couldn't feel one of my hands. I just couldn't use my hand, um, which was, a really, I was staying on someone's, I was staying on a friend's couch, you know, it takes time to, when you get here and you arrange it, it was just, I remember laying in bed asking whoever was home to just open a bag for me. And I just at that point was like, no, nah, I'm not doing this anymore. That was the moment where I was just like, this is not going to be my life. I did not move to the other side of the world to live my dream, to be sick in a bed and not be able to open a bag. It was like a, a bag of chips or something. I don't even remember. I couldn't do, I mean, it, I needed help writing notes and imagine like you're here and trying to set up a cell phone and trying to like all these things and I just not use a hand. And 
and I just, that was the moment that I just said enough is enough. And so I started the search immediately. Like who, who is it going to be? Where were the, where was the source going to come from? And a lot of people say, you know, when you're ready, the teachers come. <laughs> and, and I was really lucky that, that many people showed up in my life to, to help guide the process. And more than anything, it was an intuitive experience. Once I, again, once I made that decision, answers just came to me. So one of the most important things I did, I know you haven't asked this yet, but one of the most important things I did was a daily meditation of seeing my life and my body healthy. And what's so interesting is Dr. Joe Dispenza, who now informs so much of my work and what I do, and I had never heard of, I did not know who he was at the time. I didn't hear about him until after I was declared MS free. But it's almost identical, what I was doing is almost identical to what he does. So this, that to me just says like, this is an intuitive, inherited, inherent knowing that all of us have. And we just have to get in touch with that. And so I wasn't surprised when I read about him and went, oh my gosh, he did the exact same thing. That's so cool. Yes. So, okay. So I'm so yeah. happy you brought this up. And yeah. essentially to recap, you landed in Israel in July of 2015, which is four and a half years ago. You're yeah. staying on a friend's couch. It was expected that even though you were at Sheba Medical Center, which is one of the best in the world for MS, that you would still have a relapse. Like these relapses are something that in general are not really escapable. It's just something that happens. And, and this is a very serious disease. But for whatever reason, when you were sitting at your friend's home and having to ask someone to open your bag of chips because your hand was numb, that was it. That was your, your moment when you just decided, I will not live like this. Yeah. I, I just couldn't imagine what, like, why should it be expected? Like you just said it. And even just hearing you say it gave me the chills. It was so normal. I've, all the doctors expected it and said, you know, it were, they were prepared. Call us if this happens. Call us if that happens. We're prepared with steroids. This will be the plan. And I just went, this is just not a way to live where it's expected that if I go through a stressful experience, my body is going to stop functioning. And when someone else gets a cold, you know, like, I was just like, this is, uh, yeah, it was, it was normal and expected. And that was when I went, no, I can't live my life expecting this. So that was my moment. That was your moment. Wow. Yeah. It's powerful. It's like, um, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to accept everything we're told. We don't. And somehow you had that knowing you had it when you were 12 and when the doctor tried to tell you what your life was going to look like. And you had it again when you came to Israel in 2015 and you were told that these are all the things that, that could be done for you and that stress is going to cause this. And you just said, no, I see something else for myself. Yeah. What did, what did you see, Kaylee? I saw a vibrant life. I saw health and I felt it. I felt it in my body. I, I could feel that that's what my body really wanted. Um, and I wanted everything, you know, I wanted to dream the way other people can dream. You know, I wanted to, to dream about playing with my kids and all of these things that I think the average, it's such an irony. On the one hand, I look at healthy people and I'm like, just appreciate every second because you have no idea what's going to come tomorrow. And we don't know, we cannot bank on these things. And on the other hand, I went, okay, but I also want to dream like them, you know, <laughs> like I want to do that too. You know, I, I want to go running with my teenage kids one day. And, and I was like running, 
what? Like, how is that even a reality? You know, at my peak, at my, when I was healthiest, yeah, I would go running and I would exercise, but again, just not a given. And, and I wanted to know that every day my body would get stronger and not fight me and, and not retaliate, you know, because I decided to push one day. Um, yeah, those are my dreams. And I, oh, I have to say this. I hated the experience of dating and talking about MS. So on the one hand, it was great because this in, in many ways has made me who I am, right? And, and people would look at me like, oh my gosh, she's so optimistic and strong. And, and that was very attractive to many people. But I also hated all the questions about, well, what does this mean? And can you have kids? And those are valid. They're so valid. And I want some, I always wanted someone to be open and real about that. But it just was weird because in the process of having that conversation, part of me just knew like, yeah, but this isn't, it's not real. Like, this is just not me. This isn't how I'm going to be a mother or a wife. Like this just cannot be real. And now you it's knew, so fun. You knew, you knew, I you, just were, knew. you knew that you're going to be running with your teenage kids and that's yes. it. So everyone that's who's it. listening to this beautiful Kaylee talking into <laughs> the video and sharing her story with us, that's it. So that's the vision. That's what's happening here, folks. All right. Yeah. Story. <laughs> Nothing else to talk about. That's so you really are so beautiful. What a radiant smile you have. I want to post at least a picture of this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> You're just amazing. So, You're so sweet. You're so sweet. So, and we, we have this date in common. We both moved to Israel in July of 2015, which is Oh my so gosh, awesome. I didn't know that. July 1st was my date. <gasps> oh my gosh, you paved the way for me. We are just on the same wavelength. We really are. So, really and, I'm, are. and I'm just, and I'm just, I'm so excited about this story. So, you're so sweet. you have this moment, you move to Israel, you know that you're, you're not going to live a life of illness. You're going to live a life of wellness. What yeah. happened next? One foot in front of the other. What did you do? What did that look like? What unfolded for you? So a few things happened. One is I discovered this amazing modality called EFT, emotional freedom technique. Um, and most people use it, even practitioners, even master practitioners use it um, to process emotion and trauma. Um, and I was really, really blessed that I was working with um, a woman here in Israel called Shelly Malka, um, who was a master at using this with the body, with physical symptoms and learning to quiet the symptoms, calm down the symptoms, and then understanding what's the emotion behind the symptom because our bodies are constantly storing everything from the moment that we're born. And we are at all, if we don't process an emotion or an experience, the body has to. And by the way, this is not some random like woo-woo perspective. This is studied. It's been studied for centuries. This is not new. We just don't talk about it a lot, but there's an entire field called psychoneuroimmunology where, or did I say that right? I hope I said that right. Um, <laughs> um, that's actually become very, very popular now. And these are studies done at Yale, at the Mayo Clinic, that mm -hmm. show how our emotions affect our body. So, what, so the first thing I did was just EFT, just starting, like we talked about that, that metaphor of, you know, you don't sit down and meditate in the middle of a burning building. This got the symptoms to quiet down. 
to learn to manage pain. Yeah. I I want to pause for a second and I want to reiterate what you're saying. You know, the truth is, is that when the Wright brothers were flying their first airplane, there were people writing manifestos on how flying airplanes was impossible. Okay. (laughs) So with every new invention, innovation, there's always doubt and there's always, there can always be the naysayers, the people who say something's woo. But the truth is there is a research basis for your work. There's a research basis for EFT. Mm-hmm. There is a field that you are talking about and is, is being, it's, it's really, it's, it's cutting edge and, and it's the, at the forefront of its field. And, and you know, when the, these studies are coming out of places like Duke and Harvard and Yale, perhaps the drug companies don't want them to, you know, reach us, but this is what's real and this is happening. So it's yep. so exciting to hear about this straight from you. And you started out with EFT and as you explained the, the, the therapy that you did now, this is the tapping. Mm-hmm. The EFT is the tapping. tapping. Okay. Yes. So can you share a little bit with us about what that is and kind of how it helped you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I would say, um, the, the, first of all, it's, it's, it's accessing the mind body connection. It's to, I find it to be the quickest way to access the mind body connection. A lot of times we think we need to sit and meditate for an hour and try to figure out what's going on in our bodies. This is like quick, it goes right to it. But even if we're not able to identify what's behind the physical experience, it's saying to the body, I see you and I'm paying attention to you and I'm listening. And sometimes that's all the body needs. I always look at the body as like, imagine that it's like a four-year-old that is having a tantrum and is saying like, you haven't taken care of me and you haven't this and you haven't that. Well, most of us who are living with illness immediately go into tension and conflict with our body. So we say, like, we get angry at our bodies. Like, you know, we feel betrayed by our bodies. But what if we were to just say to the body, yeah, I see you. And I know that you're in pain and you're processing something that I probably ignored last month and maybe 10 years ago. And I didn't tell that person I was angry at them, or I didn't forgive myself for this. And Now you're bearing the brunt of that. And I'm so sorry, but I see you and I hear you. Imagine, right? Like the four-year-old who's tantruming, you can tell them to stop all you want. They're not going to stop because you said stop. They need you to sit down on the floor with them and say like, one of your needs isn't being met. Like, I want to hear what you're going through right now. What's up? You know, how can I help? And this is really interesting. So essentially what you're saying is that when life events happen to us as a whole being, as a mind, body, spirit, we might have the mental fortitude and resilience to want to get past that event. We might want to not be offended by something someone says, or we might not want to be sad about having lost a loved one, or we might not want to be hurt by someone rejecting us. But if we don't experience that emotion, then it's going to get stored in our body. Yep. Yep. You nailed it. And so, and it's a fine line right? It's a fine line between dwelling on something and getting lost in pity and victimhood and processing and just owning an emotion. So, you know, I, I, I find that, that the majority of my clients start out as people who think they're super resilient because they just power through. And that's actually not resilience. Resilience is being able to say, yeah, you know what? This is hard. And I can face that hard thing and I can feel it. And I know I'll come out okay right? I, I don't believe that optimism is what, like, I'm not an inspiring speaker. If I say everything is roses all the time. No, you know what? Sometimes it's terrible and horrible, but I know I'm going to get through it. 
that is actually much healthier for the body. This hurts. I'm sad. I was offended by that person. And I'm, it's actually safe for me to say that and to feel that and move that emotion is energy, moving that through the body. And then the body doesn't have to store it. You know, they actually have studies that show that anger that has not been processed leads to immediate toxicity in the liver. Immediate. It's like, it's, you might as well just drink a beer. So it, it has the same impact as alcohol on the liver. So you might as well enjoy the beer, right? Like as opposed to dealing, having the anger, storing that anger. It's there anyways. We think we're, we're powering through. We think we're just being nice and understanding. It doesn't mean you have to go scream at someone. You just acknowledge, oh yeah, I feel angry. Maybe you just write a little note about it instead of yelling at them. Getting that anger out is healthy, it's safe, and it's, your body is begging for it because otherwise your body has to store it. You've told yourself, I'm fine, that doesn't offend me, but you're actually offended. So I want to acknowledge this because I think right now, and I talk about joy a lot in my book, I, I talk about joy and the podcast, I talk about joy and I don't say happiness, but bottom line is there's, there's so much hype right now about happiness and gratitude and joy and right, we're yeah. all striving for this happy life. But I want to really reiterate what you're saying that a true grounded, joyful life acknowledges that the human experience has a vast array of emotions, our fear, our hurt, our anger, our sadness are all coming from an intelligent place. And the, the, the truly grounded way of joyfully living is to be present with those emotions and it takes courage. But running away is not, it's not out. The only way out is through. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so when I talk about happiness, you know, it's, it's as, as I, a recent friend of mine said, it's not throwing Skittles off of rooftops. Like we can all go out and do that. And, and I think I you and I it. should do that. And everyone listening should do that or marshmallows or whatever you want to do. But, but let's be real. Like things happen mm. on a daily basis that we're just going to be present with. And some of them aren't comfortable. Yeah. So this is powerful stuff. I love what you're saying. And, and I love the way you're describing joy as part, as part of a vast array of, of human emotions, um, as part of this experience of being alive, I find that when we can face our lows, when we can face those uncomfortable feelings, we unlock such deeper levels of joy. I mean, I didn't know that that was possible. You know, I think we walk around thinking we're happy and <laughs> actually, no, there's such a deeper, more profound joy when we can go to those places as uncomfortable as it is. But yeah, I just, I love how you, how you shared that. That's amazing. So I, I, I shared it because I, I want to make so sure that our listeners understand the type of joy and happiness that, that we bring up and, and that it's not something light, you know, it's not, it's not like, it's not about ignoring feelings or pretending everything's, you know, perfect all the time. It's, Right. really being present with what is. So, so you started this emotional freedom technique and you started speaking to your body as though it was an entity of its own. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so, at, so there were a lot of things happening in parallel at this time. So the, the tapping helped me to quiet specific symptoms and then to understand what was behind those symptoms. So I stopped taking any painkillers 
Um, and I really, I suffered for days, just like being in pain for days on end until I learned what it was going to take to quiet it on my own. And in the beginning, it took a while. Now, Kaylee, where, where, did, where did you start with these methodologies? So you started the EFT and then what was sort of guiding your process? Like, how did you come to the decision to do the EFT and stop the painkillers and, and take these steps? A lot of it was intuition. A lot of it was intuition. Um, and just trusting my body, like saying, okay, if I, if I believe this, you know, if I really believe that we are the most advanced machine on the planet, then I'm going to trust you, um, to, to guide me and to show me. And, and I had to trust myself, you know, if I, I, I think I was also really lucky in that because of how I had lived with the disease and how much I'd overcome with it. I was like, well, if, if I lived through all of that, I can live through this too, right? Like if I lived through being blind in one eye, if I lived through paralysis, then I, I, can, I can certainly have the, the power of mind to overcome whatever the physical pain is and whatever the current symptoms are. And I literally had to remind myself of that constantly. So when we talk about mind over matter, that became the next step of the process for me, what was a constant mindset shift. Going to sleep at night, envisioning that I was going to wake up healthy, envisioning that tomorrow was going to be symptom free, waking up the next day, setting that vision for myself again. And even if it didn't happen, the next day doing the same thing and the next day doing the same thing and the next day doing, and just being committed to that vision as my reality until my body believed also that it was real. And I literally every single day for a year that, that was, that was my everything. That was the only, I stopped using the words MS uh, my roommate knew when, when I would say like, I'm not feeling well, I stopped saying I'm having MS symptoms. She stopped using the words MS. My parents stopped saying MS. They stopped asking about neurology visits and I was still doing everything and still going to treatment, but I stopped anticipating and I, everything was in the mindset and in my language until my body could start to even create a reality that was different because our cells are always listening. Yeah. Now, at the time, were you aware of the research that talks about the power of visualization on our ability to process reality? Meaning the fact that our brains don't necessarily understand the difference between what we visualize and what we experience in physical reality. Did you know that? Or was this also like a part of your... It, it was really intuitive more than anything else. Like certainly when I would hear something about that, I got really excited and went, Oh, cool. That's amazing. I really needed that reinforcement, you know? Um, but I didn't spend every day looking at that. Um, I was actually much more interested at the time in, in learning how the body works with the soul. So I was looking at it much more from a spiritual perspective, but applying these tools that have, have been studied, um, in the field of psychoneuroimmunology that have shown all of this, that, that the brain believes what you're Okay, I love this so much because I so much believe that the scientific and the spiritual are one and we're coming to understand it. So I'd love to hear more about what, what, what were you learning at the time about the soul? Okay, so, <laughs> so actually because um, when, when David died, uh, my fiance, um, I wanted to understand what was going on for him. And it was amazing. I had this really deep knowing that the process of understanding 
the journey of his soul was going to impact not just my own healing from grief, but I, I just knew it was going to be part of my own healing from illness. I just knew it. And so as I started that journey, I started reading all different sources um, and, and sitting and spending hours with rabbis, just trying to understand rabbis who like specifically speak about this and have studied the soul from like a Kabbalistic perspective. Um, although there's a lot of it just in our, our main sources, you don't have to go to Kabbalah for it, which is really cool too. So essentially what I came to understand is that the body is in many ways its own its own being, its own organism. And it's here to help us and to work with us. And so we, when we enter the world, team up soul and body and say, um, here's, you know, here's what we want to accomplish in this lifetime. This is what I want to accomplish. This is kind of the things I'm looking for. And we team up with a body that is going to help us do that. And the body has an innate intelligence that wants to help us stay on track. So a lot of times when things go off, when we experience dis-ease, we're uncomfortable, right? We, we think that is terrible and that we are suffering. And the body thinks it's helping us. It thinks it's helping us. So I had to take a step back and say, okay, if it thinks it's helping me and I'm not, don't feel like I'm being helped in any way, right? I'm frustrated and feel betrayed. I had to kind of be this detective and say, how does it think it's helping? Where are there some kind of, where is there some kind of benefit in this? And the truth is that if you really can sit with that and, and really face yourself in your life, every single person I, look, I work with finds that. We find where are the benefits? And it's really, really hard to face that. But there can be really small benefits and there can be really, really huge benefits. And I'm not saying benefits like this is like a fun experience. There are just like sort of their sort of backdoor benefits that we didn't realize we actually wanted a break. We didn't realize we needed to rest and we weren't going to say that for ourselves because that's a sign of weakness. So the body forced us, you know? So in you learning know, this- I, I, I totally, I totally resonate with that. I totally yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'll share with you and I'll share with our mm-hmm. listeners that I have had an injury since I was one and a half, a, a baby. I got a foot injury. I had a broken bone that never properly healed. It wasn't noticed in an x-ray. It wasn't properly diagnosed. Mm. And I've lived on and off with chronic pain and arthritis in his foot. I've had surgeries. It's just something that cannot be fixed, quote unquote. But what I learned recently was that it's been this gift because I have this propensity to want to keep running and Mm. kind of like outrun my body in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And it just slows me down. So as annoying and difficult as it has been, it's like a perfect example where I can see what you're saying is so true. Yeah. So imagine if it's okay for me to get personal with you sure. <laughs> now that you've opened that up. Imagine if you could thank your foot for that. And imagine that you could you'd have to be very real about it and authentic about it. But imagine that you could, could promise your body and yourself that you will do things in a balanced way. It doesn't happen overnight, right? But that you would attempt to do that and practice that and that you don't need your body to do it for you. And then you kind of let it off the hook 
And by the way, you can build that bone. People have done that through visualization. So yeah, you, I, I, you know what? I, I totally hear what you're saying and I believe you. And, and last summer, something happened where it was getting really bad. And I just decided to sit down. I was also learning these like ideas about the soul and the spirit. And I sat down one day. I was right here outside this window on my balcony. And I, I sat down and I, I, in this chair and I just said, thank you, God. Thank you so much for giving me this gift. Thank you so much. It's taught me so many things. And, and I, I just said, thank you. And then I said, and you know what? Now I'm done and I'll do whatever I need to do. And I don't need this anymore. Yeah. Yes. You know, and, and, and I got to say, it's going pretty well so far. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that's really what we need to be able to do to say, thank you. And I don't need this anymore. And that was, by the way, the exact sentence pretty much when I knew I was done. I just came to a moment where I knew my body didn't have disease anymore. And I just said that I said, thank you. I don't need, thank you for everything that you've given me and that you've done for me. And I don't need this anymore. I got it. I can take it from here. And that was it. It's unbelievable. So what you're saying is basically this can work from anything from arthritis in a foot or some really chronic major disease like the one or fatal or Or cancer. Wow. Yeah. People do this with cancer. I mean, it was interesting because once I knew I had healed, I was excited about it, um, but I also was scared to share it, actually. Um, I, it was much easier for me to tell everyone that I was sick than to tell people I, had, I was suddenly not sick. Um, and that was its own journey. Um, but in the process, um, I wanted to learn all about this. I wanted to understand, wait, how did this happen? <laughs> right after the fact, I was like, wait a second, what? This is real? And so that's when I started doing all this research. Um, and only a few months afterwards, and by the way, I had never mentioned to my neurologist what I was doing. And only a few months after did he sit across from me and in just tears in his eyes in total shock say, I don't know what you did, but you're done. And of course, I just fell apart crying. <laughs> And the moment was amazing because I turned to him and I said, I'm not surprised by the sentence, by the words, because I knew I was done with this disease, but I'm surprised you, one of the best MS specialists in the world are saying this to me. I, I never, no one ever mentioned to me throughout all my years of living with MS, seeing the best doctors in the world, being an advocate, being on stages, talking about the disease, sitting next to researchers, all of, no one ever mentioned that it could change. I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, it's actually a really, really slim, um, like narrow categorization, but it is written about in the literature and there is such a thing. And of course I'm just thinking, how come no one ever said this? You know, (laughs) and I thought I was the crazy one, like trying to go up this uphill battle, but it's it's possible, it's a thing. And I, and, and I just said, so, so how come you're doing it if it's so, so rare? And he said, your case is so clear that it would be negligent for me to not change your diagnosis. And that for me was the biggest miracle because that for me was God saying, you're someone who's comfortable being up in front of people. You're not quiet. (laughs) You're articulate. And I just gave you scientific evidence that this is possible and real. Go share it, go, you have to go do this. And that for me was, was what put me on this path. And, and it has been so incredible. And so that's when I not only got super into the research and found everything I did was scientifically 
founded, um, but that there were others doing it and, and that a people need to just know that it's possible and that in and of itself creates such a shift in our, in our physiology and B, they just need someone to coach them to get them through it. You know, I was sort of had this, I was determined. And so that's all I focused on. But I, I, I know that that's unique. I know that that power of mind is unique, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. So I just want to be that for someone else that keeps them focused, that keeps them going, that the days that you're like, but I'm in so much pain and I visualized for the last week and nothing changed. Okay. Stay on it. Stay on it. Stay on it. You know, I have a client that I, I even had moments where I had lost a little bit of hope, which was really, really hard for me because I'm always trying to hold space. She, um, also, she also has MS or, or had MS and, um, she couldn't walk normally for years, um, because of an issue in one of, in one of her legs. And we worked together for a year and just, we weren't seeing like any shift. I mean, it was so, but she was awesome and she kept showing up and she kept showing up, but she would also, the session, our second to last session before what I'm about to tell you, she was like, maybe I shouldn't continue. And she was just ready to throw in the towel. And I said, listen, like I'll honor any decision you make, but you know, your body is listening and we just have to trust that your body's listening. And anyways, at least other parts of her life had changed as a result of this work. And she stuck it out. And in the next session, we finished the session and she called me right back immediately. And she was walking perfectly fine. It, there wasn't even, it wasn't even gradual. It was like from one minute to the next, the body was like, oh, we had just been rearranging the whole time. Here you go. And it was like, <laughs> so like it works. And I just, I, I so believe in that, like, okay, I just have to be that person who like holds people's hand through this experience because it's possible. It's possible. And just keep telling them it's possible and you could do it, you know? Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. I feel really blessed. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so incredible. And, you know, it brings up so many questions. It's like, I wonder why didn't you know about the possibility? Like why, why yeah. are people hearing about these possibilities and how can we ensure that, that, that we're all hearing about the possibilities more? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, we've only got so much time on this planet. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. And, I feel like there's so much to do. <laughs> and, and we want to do it. We want to, we want to do it all. And, and I think that, you know, you've recapped so perfectly what that feels like and, and really the beauty in living a normal life. Like you said, just running errands on the weekend and planning out your day or going running with your teenager or, you know, these, these, these daily activities can be taken for granted, but I think that your story is such a powerful reminder. Kaylee, you are so inspiring. Thank you so much for joining me today. How can our listeners connect with you and find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So they can go to KayleeZ.com. It's K-A-L-E-Y-Z.com. Um, and you can learn about my coaching. Um, there will also, once this airs, there will be an upcoming, um, online course, um, that people can take just to get the basics, the basic tools that I, that I do with my ongoing coaching clients. Um, because I, I only work with a handful of people at a time. So, um, that'll give you the intro. Um, I also do grief coaching. Um, I have, depending on the situation, a six to 12 week grief coaching program for people who've lost a spouse or partner. And you can find out about that as, uh, online as well. 
Um, I also just came out with, I just co-authored a book called Transforming Your Life. You can find it on Amazon. Um, what else? <laughs> There's a lot going on. You have um, a lot going on and, and yeah, we didn't get into to the story of grief, but I think that is like a standalone episode in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, you have yeah. so much to share. It's really incredible. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me. I have a feeling that Kaylee is going to be back on the show. I would love to do a follow-up follow episode on grief. But before we go, one other quick word from Kaylee. You got to hear this. I know this is your podcast, but I just want to give you a plug. I think that that if you have not read um, Azarello's book yet, now is the time. I believe that this is a consciousness that so needs to get into the world and just reading the words will change your life. Um, mm -hmm. And this is also part of the soul body experience that like the soul and body are experiencing it, the words as you read them and you're, it's penetrating your cells. So this is so, so, so important for the work that I do as well. So I want to give you that plug. Thank um, you. You know, the title of the book is Beyond All Things. And it's really about the power when we think about this world when we gaze out into the sky and we try to conceptualize what does it mean to be infinite it seems as though it's a concept out of, outside of our reach a concept that is beyond all things but at the same time with this power and this knowing and this depth and this concept that really is outside of our conceptualization feels beyond all things it is also very much within us yep it is within yep. us yeah yeah. And that's, that's the concept that you just, you just have to keep reminding yourself of, and then it just becomes your reality. Amazing. Amazing. Kaylee, you are a miracle. Thank you so much for being yeah. here. Thank you. Thank you. I also, can I just say one last thing? Yeah. <laughs> so I talked about this, this vision of running with my teenagers. So I'm still wanting to make that vision a reality, of course, always. Um, and I'm single and Whoever's listening to this, I want my husband. Oh my God, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, I just, that has to be my reality now. So now that is my biggest focus. So I had to say it because who knows who's listening. You know, he's getting ready for you. I was just oh, learning yeah. that um, in the Torah portion of this last week, we learned the story about Abraham and Sarah. Mm -hmm. And we learned that it was not actually, so Abraham was years older than his wife. And we learned that it was not until the moment that he accepted the oneness of everything, the oneness of all of reality, that the, the unity that we are within, that, that we've come to call God, the moment that he accepted that, she was born. Oh my God, that's amazing. That's amazing. So I pray that he wakes up. Amazing. You know, he gets ready for you. And, uh, and I want to dance at your wedding. Amen. Let's do that. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. All right, friends. Thank you so much for being here. If you have any questions or insights about this show, you can reach me on Facebook. My page is Azriela Jankovic. That's A-Z-R-I-E-L-A Jankovic, J-A-N-K-O-V-I-C, E-D-D. I'll link everything in the show notes in terms of where to reach me where to reach Kaylee. And of course, if you have a match for Kaylee, you can let us know. She's really a fabulous woman, as you know from listening to this episode. So I want to bless you with so much wellness this week, wellness, wisdom, and wonder 
may it all serve you enhance your life and may you do so for the world in return i look forward to seeing you next week make sure to subscribe and we'll see you back here then